All right, welcome to the On The Head podcast episode. Are we on five or six five now? now? Five now, Wow, and we have a guest. So we interviewed Rob Farkins a couple of weeks ago from Plymouth Parkway. We should probably and... mention our new host as well, our new co-host. <laughs> well, we could do, but, you know. Yeah, say, just leave me in the dust. It's yeah. fine. He's like the T-boy. So this is the On The Head podcast with me and Jake, and Tom's here as well. Welcome, welcome, <laughs> and, uh, today... welcome to Tom Cross. <laughs> <laughs> today we're interviewing another Plymouth Parkway player, and this time it is Mikey Williams. Mikey, welcome on to the podcast. Cheers. Thank you so much for your time today. Thanks for having me, guys. The first question is kind of a generic one, but what got you into football? What started that passion? Into football? Uh, it was probably about ooh, three or four, I think, uh, when I first started playing. Um dad played locally uh, uh, for a number of teams locally and he just got me playing football from an early age uh, my cousin played as well so I went to train him with him and I think it was just a case of running around trying to chase the ball at <laughs> four and like, everyone's all at the same place you know trying to chase the ball around the pitch but uh, yeah, I think that's when I first probably started playing you went to Ivy Bridge Academy as well, didn't you? Um, to, yes, to play there. Believe it or not, I was one of the founding members of. Really? Yeah, it was the first year it was. All um, right. So we were like the first recruits, so to speak, for okay. the Ivy Bridge Football Academy, which yeah. is something. That's actually had some success, hasn't it? Um, because Ryan Leonard, Matt Laquan, and, and Billy Krask have all have all come through that academy. Um, have you noticed any differences there compared to like certain clubs that that you've played for? Is is there a kind of a, a better way of doing things there? Would you say? Um, to be honest, it was it was quite um, new at the time. Like it was one of these things that hadn't really been done before, especially around here, where um, guys were coming from different parts of Plymouth and, and other places to come and play, um, come and play and miss lessons for school, um, miss lessons at school to play football. Really, so like I'd I'd get to skip sort of art and religious studies and things to play football. I mean, the irrelevant subjects anyway. It was a dream <laughs> back then, you know, and. Um, we had guys coming up from Lou, so guys coming up from Lou every day to, to go to the school, and um, I think it did. It definitely did help with my development as a footballer. Um, and like I say, we had about some good players that come through the through the school as well, and uh, some good non-league players as well. So yeah, did that feel quite surreal for you, kind of like almost like living the life of a young footballer, as you say, missing lessons, playing football a lot. Um, do you think that's why a lot of players? almost seem a bit out of touch sometimes because they're almost like put through this machine whereby it's only football and it's almost like they have to put all their eggs in one basket in a way to be honest definitely i can see um some guys getting burnt out and not enjoying football anymore especially if they're involved with a sort of professional club from an early age if you like the likes of if you were at plymouth argyle at the center of excellence i think um, from a young age if it's just that's all you do constantly and you're going away every weekend to places like Swindon or Cheltenham games like that and um, you don't necessarily think about it at the time but it's just what you want to do is football everyone has that dream of becoming a pro don't they and uh, and yeah I think some guys could burn out because of it. So. Have you ever felt that have you ever felt a burnout through playing too much football? Um, I wouldn't necessarily say it's from playing too much but there's a time around I was like 15 or 16 and I got released from Argyle um, and at the time it was just sort of a case of well what do you do now you know it's like that's all you've known since I was there from 8 to 16 or whatever and um, once that sort of ends you think oh what's happening now and you're like well am I really enjoying football and you sort of just have a break and it sort of goes from there and then I think it's sort of once you think about it from that point of view then you think, oh, well, I want to get back in playing then, and that's when you sort of 
remember your passion for playing and brings you back to playing with your mates and going out after school and playing anything with a ball. I mean, it prob- might be a bit different now of all that's going on in the world. But Is that how you got through that time, is going out with friends again? and To be honest, football? yeah, I, I started playing with my mates. Like, yeah. I joined my mates' team and it, it was a bit of a lower standard, but I enjoyed it and um, it got me back into playing again and then just keep progressing from there and then you get back into the swing of things, so it was all right. Whilst you're going through that sort of academy process and through that system, is is there anything or was there anything in place whilst you were there that sort of allowed you to take your mind off it? Were there sort of any kind of almost, almost like mental coaches there that helped you relieve some of that pressure? Um, I think the resources were there, uh, albeit in a limited fashion, because I think back then it's probably for about 10 years or so ago now, it, it wasn't necessarily as at the forefront of everyone's minds, that sort of mental health and that sort of stigma around that. Um, but I know it was it is important, especially nowadays um, with all that's going on. So, yeah, and I guess Tom's touched on it as well. Like you kind of you went to to play football at a lower level um, with with your mates. Um, obviously, we've seen some really bad cases before when players have been dropped from academies and and they've gone through a really tough mental time. Obviously, you don't need to go into too much detail, but was there ever a time when you did feel really low? Um, particularly at 16 years old, you know, being let go from academy and almost having to think, okay, what do I do now? Uh, yeah, I think I think it's just probably just a case of just trying to get through it. You just sort of have this sort of spell for a, f- a few months where you're just a bit unsure about what you plan to do next kind of thing. And in my case, I was a bit of a late developer as well, so I hadn't necessarily physically developed in terms of sort of going into a men's sort of environment, so men's football, so didn't think that was an option for me and it was just a case of trying to understand what the best sort of process would be in terms of enjoying my football essentially because also um, some parts when playing for like an academy some days you, you sort of think am I really enjoying it like it's not necessarily a case of beating as many people as you want with a football it's a case of you know it's almost like a, a meat production line in a way for some aspects of football back then especially it might have changed a bit more now but back in that environment then it was very much just you know uh, this is how we play uh, this is what we want you to do that kind of thing and uh, in some aspects it might have took a bit of the fun out of it so how did your view of watching football change the more you progress so for example you watch a premier league game and because obviously your mindset now is that of a footballer uh did kind of watching a football match change for you a little bit are you a little bit more analytical when when you watch a game compared to how you would be say if 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 you hadn't really played football at the level that you have yeah yeah i think so i think i think you definitely sort of um analyze certain games especially players that play in your position i think that's an important one to take um to any tips from any of the top teams so when liverpool's playing i'm a bit more uh animated because i'm a big liverpool fan so uh <laughs> We won't talk about this week. We, or we applaud that. Next we, week. Applaud yeah. that. We, we will get onto that later. That's <laughs> quite, it's quite, it's quite a big topic, isn't <laughs> no, it? I don't really want to talk about that, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but yeah, I'm a big Liverpool fan, so uh, anytime I watch them play as well. <laughs> Do you want me to leave now? Or? <laughs> <laughs> you got you got something to say there, Jake? Yeah, but, no, no. <laughs> you, what is, what's, what's your team? So? Uh, I'm a Leicester fan when it comes to the Premier League. So. Oh, okay. Nice. <clears throat> What are you guys? Jake, Jake's in the awkward position that he supports both Leicester, Reading, and Barcelona, which <laughs> I think is an absolute sin to football. But whatever floats your boat, I suppose. I mean, not really. If they played in the same league, 
I mean, if Reading ever got promoted to the Premier League, I wouldn't be. I wouldn't support Leicester. I'd support Reading. I'm I'm a Leicester fan, like generally. Okay. Not a Leicester fan, sorry, Reading fan, generally. See, right. can't can't even. Oh. Sky, yeah. <laughs> oh, I've played at the, the Majeski. You have. Yeah, for Ivory School actually. That was that's quality. Majeski is a good stadium. Yeah, it is very nice. Do you have many there? At, at, at the stadium obviously it wouldn't have been yeah. a full house but yeah no I think it's only that I think it was the semi-final of the national uh, cup competition or something okay. like that um, we had uh, maybe a thousand or two something like that sounds like a normal Reading home game <laughs> 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 um, let's talk about America shall we um, yeah because I think that was I, I mean obviously <laughs> Uh, that would be for you to say but I feel like that might have been quite a big part of your life because obviously moving abroad and, and going to the other side of the world probably probably matures you quite a bit so you graduated Ivy Bridge and went to America was that did you have a gap year or did you just go straight from Ivy Bridge to, to the States yeah so I um, done my A-levels at Ivy Bridge so I done two years of like A-levels there and then went um, straight over like a week after my 18th birthday wow and I was like <laughs> crazy like in the middle I went to um a university in Texas, um, which is pretty cool. Um, and yeah, like I was saying earlier, I was still, it took me a while to sort of develop. I was a bit of a late developer and um, going there just, it was an amazing experience. Spent four years there um, playing and getting a degree out of it at the end of the day. And um, yeah, grew up massively going over there. What was the uh, the ethos like being a football soccer player over there? Because obviously <laughs> in American universities, colleges that, if you play, if you play, you know, baseball, American football, hockey, even, yeah, um, you're like kind of really popular and and all that. But what about football? Because obviously, football's not the most popular sport over in right. America. <laughs> so, so what what was it uh, like? It it was still kind of like I think it was the accents that got it as well. well yeah, that was yeah. a game changer as well. Because like, anytime you're in class, you speak up and say something, the whole work turn like whole class just turns around and looks at you like, what are you doing? <laughs> what what language are you speaking? But um, but yeah, our, our school was a big sort of American football um, school. They'd get like uh, 10,000 at each game. Yeah. And it was like crazy. But um, Would you get many at football games then? Not as many um, as that. We only, our crowds were only sort of four or 500 people uh, per mm. game. Um, but some of the bigger games we'd get a thousand or so. Um, but yeah, like you say, it was just an amazing experience. I think the big thing to touch on with them is the facilities. Oh, I bet. The facilities yeah. in in the American universities are like it's like being at a professional club, and like the um, sort of physios, the treatments in that aspect. We had um, cold baths, you know, um, like jacuzzi pools, things like that. Well, um, college football's just as big as almost as as NFL really in yeah. America, and isn't it? So like you play for a university you know you're going to probably go on to play yeah. in the nfl so yeah exactly i was only at a division two school to be honest so it's not even like um massive big school in terms of numbers but even those facilities and the teams we play against are brilliant uh but uh there's a lot of traveling um oh, for I games like, I can imagine <laughs> like yeah <laughs> i bet our sort of average sort of journey is probably like six hours a game <laughs> on a coach wow and like one game we had down in uh, on literally on the border of Mexico, it was eleven hour coach drive. How do you feel that time? Like it's so many different things. You're literally just sitting there, like playing cards, <laughs> so, so many different things. But tough, tough journeys. 
as long as you win, it's all right on the way back. <laughs> <laughs> did you just play teams from Texas or did you play out of state? No, yeah, there's a few other out of states, more like sort of the sort of bordering states in terms of, sort of Oklahoma, Colorado. Uh, I think we had a couple of games in Kansas and things like that as well. So nice to sort of travel in that aspect. You get to see uh, different states as well. Were you ever um, contacted by like, MLS teams and stuff? Uh, no, no, not no. personally. Um, to be honest, with with the MLS, they have uh, it's quite tough to get into as a foreigner at yeah, college because yeah, uh, cool. of their sort of uh, foreigner spots and limited spots. Yeah, and then the one below the USL, um, that's kind of good to get into. I think more people are getting into that. Um, but again, um, they try to like teams that have been to the playoffs and done well in that aspect. And there's also a thing, a league called PDL in America. Um, where they where that goes on in the summer, so when uni's finished, you can play in this league as the the PDL league. Um, so they're across the country, um, and they sort of usually take take guys from that from that league as well. Um, but to be honest, I I quite like I missed home a little bit, so I'd come home in the summer and stuff like that. So yeah, I never fair enough. actually paid PDL. Fair enough. Um, you did sports and exercise science over there. Um, obviously, the amount of travelling and and the but the ethos especially in america that's put on sport uh at, uh even at university level did you feel like you were able to focus on on your course or was it just completely completely football and i guess that also feeds into that topic of just football 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 all the time yeah um no to be honest the coaches would try and drill home uh the sort of schooling aspect of it um but um i i quite enjoyed the degree it was a bit strange because at the time i thought i'd be going over just for like core sport and exercise science but at American University, or this one that I was at, um, the first two years, still, you still do core subjects. So I'd still have to take, like, maths and English classes as well. Really? And then they threw in some sort of, like, Texas government classes. And I'm sitting there thinking, <laughs> how am I going to get through a Texas <laughs> government class? Uh, and uh, to be honest, I just sort of winged it a little bit. But I got my degree at the, in the, you know, at the end of it. So pleased for that aspect. Um. You scored six goals, um, 66 games, and you started every game as well. Um, was it, how, how did you find actually getting into the team? Did you find the, the, the levels of, of kind of quality different to what they are in, in England, or, or was it roughly the same? Yeah, it's an interesting question. I have that debate with a few of my friends um, over at the moment. Um, it's tricky. I got quite lucky in terms of um, getting in the team uh, because the left-back, I started off as a left-back um, for the university team. And I played there um, for all four years. Um, but the left-back before me had just graduated, so it was kind of like a nice step where the spot was open. And I got quite lucky. And in terms of our first year at uni, um, it was almost like a transition year. You played a lot of youngsters, and that gave me a nice opportunity to then um, get regular games under my belt and then from there sort of just continue then progressing. You've moved into left mid as well, right? Um, so... Do, do you sort of see yourself as almost like a James Milner sort of player where <laughs> you can play pretty much anywhere? Yeah, to be honest, my last year at uni, they had a few injuries, so I played centre-back there as well. And you're looking at me, I'm, I'm not very big. I'm sort of five foot nine, five foot ten, not very sort of stocky. And I was doing a job at centre-back and I've played there for partway, filling in as well. So I'm sort of, yeah, just a utility man in a way. <laughs> Is it um, obviously having played football as well and, and I think you two have both played you, you played for the university as well um, I mean I say played that's a very loose term <laughs> I play Saturday league at home yeah yeah <laughs> but um, but sort of being put into a new position 
it, it, for me, it was quite disorienting in a way. Did you find it quite comfortable to, to just move to a new sport or did it take some getting used to? Yeah, it definitely took some getting used to. Um, some positions more than others. I'd say playing out wide from a left-back point of view is not as bad because you're sort of experiencing what the other team's going to do. So you've sort of got that in your head that you know what you want to do and what causes problems for other left-backs. You can sort of take that into your game. Um, but some other positions like uh, centre mid or centre back, it's just a case of positioning, playing games regularly, and trying to communicate as best as possible. I think that's a good one. Um, speaking with your teammates, try and make sure you're in the right position. So. Um, I'll stay on the topic of America as well because uh, there's a lot of things I want to know about America. Carry on, yeah. Um, how was it? What was it like, kind of adapting to to life? I can imagine it is very different to, yeah. to life over here. Oh, um, very tough to start off with the first few months it's just sort of like oh, i just want to go home you know yeah it's so so tough like that in that aspect but then once you start like getting into a routine you sort of get used to the teammates a little bit more um i moved in with uh moved into a different dorm room so i stayed with them uh, like one of my teammates every day lived with him and he's still like one of my best mates now so it's like um from that aspect it, it's it's tough um but then after a few months, like I come back from Christmas and then uh, the following semester, it, from there, you just don't look back. It's, you know, it's brilliant. You, you're lucky to be there, really, you know. Yeah. Um, in ter- I guess it's a little bit deeper now, but in terms of gun crime in America, we know that that's a big topic um, as well. Was that, ever, was that ever something you experienced over there? Was it like, uh, uh, was was it quite <laughs> surreal at times? Uh, to be honest, a little fun fact for you: our university actually allows you to carry a concealed gun on campus. No way! It's Texas. Texas have some crazy Mad. gun laws where they sort of, yeah, like loads of like teammates and stuff would be like for guns and stuff, and it's just the way they've they've been brought up, and that's what they believe in in, in the amendments and stuff. Um, but coming from a different perspective, an English guy looking over you like, what are you guys doing? You know, what was the weirdest law over there that you that you noticed? If you noticed any particularly weirdest, weird ones, but the strangest is I think drinking. You're not allowed to drink till you're 21. Yeah, mm. apparently, yeah. like that kind of law went. But you can get a gun when you're 16, yeah. I think, or something crazy <laughs> like that. Or you can drive when you're 16. You can't drink till you're 21. I think that's crazy. Yeah, that baffles me. Baffles me that. Um, We'll kind of go back to sport as well. Um, obviously, it's quite low-key in England. So, for example, college and, and university football, there's not this massive event around it. Did you feel like there was a, a huge, not maybe media presence, but just a massive atmosphere on, on match day? Or did you kind of just settle into this sort of phase where you just focused on, on the game and you don't really pay in America, attention? Or... In America, yeah. Yeah, no, they... they um they sort of had media teams at the university and stuff and I guess it's different because university sports up there are absolutely massive you know like especially like the American football basketball such big revenue generators for um the NCAA um it's crazy but um from our point of view as well from from our university yeah it was every game was quite important but it's also important to say that um the seasons were quite smaller so we'd only play games August to November, so it was only sixteen game seasons. Really? Yeah. Wow. When you compare that to over here, where you're playing forty, fifty games a year, so you're technically only playing for a couple of months, and the rest of the year you haven't got games. You're just sort of training or going in the gym and things like that. 
was the training still quite intense af- after that then was, was it sort of still at kind of match or, or kind of mid-season level yeah yeah so it had a little drop off once the season ends um and then it sort of break for christmas and then the following sort of term january to sort of march is like a a different sort of season where they just sort of train regularly and play friendly games and stuff and i think that's where they sort of take time to try and develop things on the pitch and in the weight room and stuff call it weight room sounds so american then didn't i <laughs> uh, when it comes to the actual game um is it more physical in america or like the tackles that are put in are they stronger than say here or obviously i know that the, the training is going to be more intense yeah. at the same level here as it is in america because of the university standards and stuff like that but when it comes to the actual physicality of the game um did you notice a it's difference a good, it's a good question i think ultimately i think non-league football in england's probably a bit more aggressive in terms of sort of fouls and sort of nastiness if you like um but americans they don't they, they weren't necessarily more technical they're a bit more like bigger stronger um machines kind of the way they play football you know and um i wouldn't say they were sort of dirty or and again it's sort of age whereas here non-league football you, you play men whereas there it's more 18 to sort of 22 23 year olds you know so that aspect as well did you have any players in the football soccer team that also played american football and kind of switched between the two or was it so dedicated that you had to choose one and and go with it um we had one guy my first year who was the backup quarterback for the american football team right which is pretty cool um but it's tough to play soccer and american football at the same time because their seasons are at the same time Mm. it could be a case of if they uh rat like did athletics as well that was a different season so that was a bit more sort of leeway in that aspect um so from there obviously you moved back to the uk um played for tiverton um for a few years um scored five goals there. i presume that was was that left back as well that you played there yeah, or that was, was that a bit more kind of uh, interchanging again that was left wing back so they played with a back five at the time okay um so it was a little bit higher um but yeah I imagine the cultures between Tiverton and America are very yeah. similar. <laughs> I was literally I was calling the next question. Yeah, like. Such a simple transition. Yeah. <laughs> Crime everywhere. Um, <laughs> people, always... in, people in Tiverton with guns. Just yeah. Like... <laughs> <laughs> what, was it a challenge then to kind of move back to the UK and adapt? Or was it a case of obviously you've already lived here for most of your life? It, you just kind of settled back into that usual rhythm? Uh, from the living point of view, it was fine. Uh, but from the football football point of view it was different because it's men's football it was my first season in men's football you don't think about it but if you go uh, to america and play uni you're not playing men then when you come back you haven't had that men's football experience at all like you might i was what 21 22 but i'd never played a game of men's football so it was really interesting um that first season where you learn the dark arts i would say uh, football Um, it seems like an obvious and and silly question but do you think you would have made as much progress as you have had you not gone to America? Do you think that sort of really helped to shape who you are as a as a footballer? Yeah, to be honest, I think I think it really did for me personally, uh, simply because at, at that 16 to 18 year old, like I said, I wasn't very as committed, if you like. I, I didn't have that sort of 
training every day. I was just playing, you know, once a week with my mates kind of thing. But whereas gone to America, you're there for four years, you train every day. It's almost like a professional environment. It might not be the same standard, but you're still training every day and, and getting better. And I think that helped me develop as well. Um, so what made you switch to Parkway then? Obviously the team that you, you play for now. Um, what attracted you to, to that particular club? Um, to be honest, um, it is a case of it, it's local, so it's Plymouth. Yeah. Um, Lee Hobbs, the manager, I think he's the main one that um, attracted me to it. He, um, I told, um, uh, we spoke about it on the documentary, the Parkway documentary. He um, phoned me up and asked if I wanted to go for a pint down the Royal William Yard and talk about football. And I was like, okay. And then I was saying, once uh, once he starts talking, you can't really say no to him. <laughs> so that was it. How, how, was that weird in a way? Because obviously being your manager he's sort of obviously sort of your boss in a way did it feel a bit strange going for a drink with your boss or, or is it a case of he's so passionate about football that he, he's a friend as well as that yeah no yeah he is definitely a friend but like back then I didn't really know much about him but I just knew that he, he was so passionate about what he wanted to do and what he wanted to achieve with Parkway and and like I say you, you sort of buy into it you, you you listen to him speak and you think oh great yeah you know we're going to go places you know and it's the type of club you want to be a part of so yeah um, obviously, you mentioned the the Round Our Way documentary. Um, it was an awesome bit of work. It was it was really great to see the the inside of the club and um, get a real, uh, I guess, a, a picture of how passionate um, non league football fans are and and how the club works. Did it did it feel different having having the cameras there, or for you was it just you go about go about business in in the same way? Uh, it might have done for the first sort of one or two games where you sort of see the camera in the changing room, uh, but then it just becomes natural, really. To be honest, when we sort of didn't notice anything from then on, really, and then it was only the case of the interviews that was a little bit different. Anything on a match day was was genuine; like there was nothing done for the cameras or anything like that. That was how it all really is. Yeah. Do you, do you ever draw comparisons between that and? say what ben foster does because he brings a gopro to matches and and he takes it into the dressing room and then he puts it behind his goal um is it does it feel a bit intrusive at times because i remember he said that his teammates were a little bit kind of iffy about it at first they weren't sure about it um does it kind of feel that way Uh, at first yeah i I guess at first you're a bit unsure about how everyone's going to act kind of thing if there's cameras videos following you but i think I remember Lee talking about it. It, it. it comes a lot down to trust as well. So mm. Mike, our media guy at Parkway, is brilliant. Um, he sort of cuts it all and, and makes it all what it is. And I think if you trust him to make sure what you, what what gets put out there is fine, then I don't think there's any problems kind of thing. And I think all the guys are on the same boat that, you know, it's it's good for the game. It's good for Parkway. So mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, how do you think that's kind of affected the, the club? Because obviously... A lot of people watched it. Um, Rob Farkins the other week told me that he had people coming up to him from from League Two. Um, they were telling him that, that they've seen the documentary. Did you feel a difference in the club after the documentary compared to before it, or did you not really notice anything there? No, definitely. I think it's been a, a, a big sort of shift in terms of not just in games or crowd sizes, albeit with COVID, it's a bit tricky, but um, other sort of uh, social media get massive. Um, I think it's also helped improve sort of players wanting to come to the club and being a part of it and they can see that the documentary is going on and they think oh we want we want to be a part of this as well so it's helped Lee in terms of recruitment as well 
because everyone knows that the club's trying to go places with what they're doing. We spoke a little bit about Rob Farkins before we started recording, and he is a character, and he. Uh, it was great to interview him because, like yourself, he, he like he, he's a really good talker. Um, that's not in a bad way, by the way. <laughs> um, but I remember I asked him about a sim bin, and he said he got it because he was because he was shouting at you, um, without obviously any of the any of the specific details about what you said. What what did you do that made him so oh. angry that he got himself a sim bin? Oh, I've got no idea. It doesn't take much to get him angry, to be honest. <laughs> it's like. You just know that if you if you make a mistake or you make a bad pass or something, you just know you're going to get an earful from Parks. He's just that's just his character, though. He that's why he's like the, one of the leaders of the team. You know, he's he's passionate about it. He cares, and sometimes it's tough because you know if you make a mistake in yourself, you don't necessarily need that sort of um, bollocking, if you like. But then in other times, it is good that he brings that to the team because sometimes you do need that bollocking. So, um, yeah, and in answer to that question uh, I can't remember it's probably been <laughs> it's so many times he's been shouted at me that it's not just a single instant what's he like in general as a as a skipper is he is he one of those that because for example the reason a lot of captains and a lot of managers have been successful is because they've had a lot of different ways of dealing with with different people so for example Sir Alex Ferguson always had very variant ways of dealing with certain players compared to others like he would shout at Wayne Rooney then he'd put his arm around the shoulder of Nanny, for example. Is, is he that sort of captain, or is he? Is it kind of a, a one-size-fits-all? Um... No, I think I think he's got those different sort of attributes to him. I think from his sort of background, sort of army-related, I think he's more, uh, not the word abrupt, but passionate and, and gets his point across in that aspect. And he leads from the front, so he's just, uh, you know, run through a brick wall for you. Brilliant head kick anything nothing gets past him kind of thing as a defender so and as a captain that's, that's what you want and as other players you, you want him leading from the front and he does and then that helps spur you on as well um i'll ask about your liverpool kind of affiliation now <laughs> we'll, we'll start with the one that no one really likes to talk about but i feel like we have to is obviously this week's yeah. uh shocking developments oh, with the european God. super league um because this is something that obviously was talked about a, a, like a few years ago as well. This has been years in the making. Um, what was your what were your thoughts on it? Uh, say a few months ago when it first started coming out that this might actually happen. Uh, to be honest, I just thought it was all sort of rumours. I didn't actually think they'd go through with it. And as a Liverpool fan all my life, to hear that they've been one of the sort of founding members and at the forefront, it was just horrible. Yeah, just like you think like. I don't know how they've signed off on it. Like thinking about bans and stuff, I'm so pleased that they've managed to sort of change their opinion. But even to have that idea in the first place was tricky. Obviously, it's about the money. Um, Luckily, um, I saw Plymouth Parkway turn down their offer. To yeah, so, that's so, all right then. Uh, have it's, you guys uh, seen John Henry's apology video? I have, and it's, um, it's it is good. I think that owners. Well, he's come forward and at least apologised. It's, it's going to take I, a lot more than he, an apology. I think I mean, yeah, he had to. At least he, he's done something yeah. for me. Mm. Like. But it was so insincere. Like you could, you could tell it was kind of just he's reading off yeah. a script that his <laughs> his PR team had written for him. Yeah, uh, it's it's one of those things, really. I mean, if he didn't say anything, he gets slated. If he comes out with something, he'll get slated. Yeah, so yeah, it's a lose lose for him. Mm. I mean, I think that's, I think the but, solution is not to sign up in the first yeah, place. That, yeah, that, that's right. what I was about to say. Yeah. <laughs> but then, like, you look at Liverpool fans now wanting him and the board out, and you think, but then who do you want in? Like, yeah, businessmen are mm. businessmen at the end of the day. You know what? 
do you want someone in who's not a businessman but then hasn't got the money to sort of spend on players? I think this is something that fans sometimes fail to recognise is that also, in especially in England, France, uh, less so Germany because they're mostly fan-owned, 51%. Um, football clubs now are a business. FSG, they, they, at the end of the day, want to make the most money that they can and they saw the Super League as doing that. But, uh, I still think that we should that all English clubs should be uh, going following the German line of mm. being fifty one percent fan owned. I do because then the forty nine percent can can be, you know, the making money bit. There's a duty of care. Yeah, there, I yeah, think. it's 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 worked in Germany quite clearly. Else, because none of the none of the teams signed up. Germany were very uh, not Germany. Bayern were very much against it. So were Dortmund. They're two of the biggest clubs in the world. Mm. And how can you have a Super League without the biggest clubs in the world? Mm. Yeah, exactly. And like you think. Something's got to change because they can't do this every other year. You know what I mean? Mm. Obviously, having played in America as well, um, did you sort of see the the idea or at least... Because I, I, I kind of saw a comparison there to America whereby, for example, you have elite sports in, in the States. And I, I feel like, in a way, particularly the American owners um, like Kroenke and, and, and Henry were trying to compare it to Europe. So, for example, you have all these states in America and together they make one elite league. Do you think they were trying to do that, but with Europe? Yeah, they're sort of talking about franchises and stuff like that. But at the forefront of the English game is promotion and relegation at the end of the day. And I think uh, those American owners, especially, they're only interested in making as much money as possible. And I remember reading something about when they first came in, like John Henry couldn't understand how Burnley were getting the same amount of rights as Liverpool were in from that aspect and um I don't think they fully appreciate that English football's got so many different clubs and is built on promotion and relegation and the ability to beat someone on any given day. Like look at the FA Cup, anyone can play in it, you know what I mean? Well I uh I saw a story, I think it was this morning, that one of these big six owners, they went to a game and didn't know what colour their team were wearing. <laughs> oh god! And it, it's it's got to be one of Cronky Henry or the Glazers, because I think the last time Joel Glazer went to a football match was I think the 2011 Champions League final, god. Manchester United against Barcelona. That was the last time he went to a football match. Yeah. <laughs> Did you see the demand Oof. in America for uh, European teams to play there competitively? Um, it, it's growing. Yeah. Like. Definitely, and I think the American sort of mindset is we'll just pay, we'll buy it as much as possible, <laughs> you know what I mean? Everything's bigger, but um, I don't know, because then in some aspects, you look at American football, they're talking about an NFL team coming over and playing in England, mm. and it's like, you can see points of view, but I don't know, it's the American owners, it's the way, way they are, I guess. I think with the American football team coming to play in England, you can see that happening because the, uh, the Americans don't care what their club do as long as their club wins, essentially, their team. Like, for uh, the you know New England Patriots, for example, if they played in Australia, I don't think the fans would care unless they won every game they played. But I think that's the difference between America and England when it comes to sports, is that football, uh, football fans like going to watch their team play and not just on the telly. Mm. Like, it's been great watching all this football over the last year and a half, like, you know, on the telly, watching every Premier League game there is. But I uh, I would 
I would do a lot for just to go and watch a live football match, even if it is just Plymouth Argyle. Like, I'm not a Plymouth Argyle fan, but to go and sit in the stands and just watch a match, it, ugh, I just that, it, I can't it, wait to do it again. It's that sense of belonging as well, yeah. I think. Because mm-hmm. like in America, there's nothing stopping these big business owners just picking up the team and moving it to other states. Well, like Stan Kroenke did it himself, exa- didn't he? Exactly. Yeah. Like they've done it. There's examples of it. But here, it's like that sense of community, that sense of belonging, you know what I mean? Which which they don't necessarily have as much, I guess, in America. I remember when there was that idea being floated around about um, La Liga matches being played abroad, and there was this huge uproar about it. Um, this is, I guess it's quite a broad question, and it's difficult to get into different people's head, particularly when they're, they're rich people who only really think about business. But why, why are Americans so determined to to change sport in Europe when it so obviously does work pretty well as it is. I think it's that again that American mentality where they have to think they're the best and want to chuck money at stuff and own things and and have the best their side as well because I think it's taken a little while for soccer over there to sort of develop since I think Beckham was like the founding guy over there that sort of changed it and turned it into what it is today but they know themselves that young american players have to go to europe to develop their game and they won't necessarily get that in the mls it's more of a case of european players that are coming towards the end of their career that go over there i i think it's a hint of jealousy in a way that the american owners they're like well why can't my america my mls team get the fans that these English teams do like what well, Stan Kroenke he owns Colorado Rapids as well as Arsenal and I don't think many people go to Colorado Rapids games <laughs> because uh, I know a football player and he used to play for them he played like I think half a season on loan out there and he just said it's so different than playing in England like in the MLS compared to he's in a, he's in League One at the moment he's in the Championship at the time but the difference I think I think it's a hint of jealousy in that. Americans feel like, well, we just change their game instead of changing ours. And they'll always have American football, baseball, basketball that will take the exactly. forefront, especially exactly. in like Colorado, places like that. That's always going to be more of a priority. So, I think as well, it's it's a problem with modern day football is it's just a real lack of patience because you've got Liverpool, Man United, Arsenal, clubs like that who obviously they were founded over 100 years ago so they've taken such a long time to build their fan base and, and build as you say that sense of belonging um do you, do you blame most of what's happening now to just a lack of patience with obviously social media having such a big impact big impact things need to happen straight away and people just aren't willing to actually wait and and take the time to develop things properly i think yeah i think that's that's an important one in terms of sort of managers i think that's massive and you look at in that aspect to sort of owners get frustrated that results aren't going their way and next thing you know a manager's gone after six months and you think how has he been given enough time to input his decisions and work transfer markets and, and things like that so i think it definitely stems from sort of owners wanting results immediately and fans wanting results immediately because it's a results driven business but um, I think it's important that fans try and and look at the bigger picture and if a team's looking like it's trending up and going in the right direction then you can sort of give them a bit more leeway in terms of time and um, for you as well as as a Liverpool fan 
since obviously it's not been that long um albeit since like the kind of the, the dust settled on on the european super league to an extent it still hasn't because we've still got some clubs in there um as a Liverpool fan, be, have you been able to kind of step back and just kind of look at what FSG have done? Because, for example, if you look at where Liverpool were under George and Gillette, mm. I mean, they were nearly out of business 10 years ago. Um, ultimately, that is the business that got them out of a huge debt and, and got them to where they are now. Is, do you think it's important to have a bit of perspective sometimes and think, yes, they made a pretty public mistake here, but ultimately they have done an all right job for the club would you say yeah yeah i'm i'm under the impression that i think they've done a great job to be honest for the past sort of few years where you look at what position we were in our manager our team that we had i think we had paul conchesky at left back yeah and <laughs> <Paulson's> <laughs> legend. Club legend. <laughs> you know what i mean and, and alberto from, moreno yeah <laughs> god andre Voronin actually mm. i remember bumping into him in the street in liverpool once. really yeah what was he like he was he was a bit strange. Like he had like <laughs> he had like leather jacket on and boots, and his hair was blonde, slicked back. And I think he had his wife with him. He was like blonde, six foot five or whatever, you know, just like. But he he was quite relaxed. But you just wish he'd bumped into a different footballer instead of Andre. <laughs> well, out of all the Liverpool football players to bump into, yeah, yeah. of course, some more <laughs> premium names in the sport. Yeah, I'd rather Paul Konchesky, I think. <laughs> I remember when they brought Voron in back and. uh it kind of made sense because he definitely did show some positive signs when he was there before, but uh, it just, just didn't go well for him at all. Um, is is it easy to kind of get sucked into really poor form once you have a couple of bad games, or, or do, is it easy to just kind of go home, switch off, come back the next day? No, no, I definitely think if you're in if you're in a sort of rut or poor form, it can sort of take its toll on you uh, mentally and sort of when you're playing and. I think you just need like sounds strange but a little bit of luck or like a, a ball to bounce off your shoulder or something like that and go in and then once you can sort of get one goal or you have one good game you can sort of build on it from that aspect but it's definitely tough in a in a poor run of form and if you're in a bit bad spell because a lot of people notice as well and especially if you're not on your sort of usual up to your usual levels it it does make a difference We'll talk more specifically about Liverpool now. It's probably another another subject you don't really want to talk about all that much. Uh, out of the Champions League now, um, obviously Real Madrid um, knocking Liverpool out. Um, <laughs> what, what's, I guess, again, it's quite an obvious question, but where's it gone wrong this season? Obviously, Van Dijk's been injured, and uh, but, but even then, it just looks like the team just doesn't quite have it's, what it had last season. It's strange because a lot of people go on about that sort of fourth year under Klopp where uh, teams burn out and stuff. But I think the fans have been a big part for Liverpool, like especially at Anfield that they get, you know, some big Champions League nights there in the past where fans have sort of pulled them through, if you like. They haven't had that this year. And I was really hoping Thiago would be better than what he has been. Uh, I've been really disappointed with him. When he, before he had his injury, he looked really good in the first few games that um, he played for Liverpool. Um, whilst Van Dijk was still playing but um, he's a big one and then Henderson people don't really talk about him much but from my point of view I think he does a lot that no one really notices that allows the fullback to push on cover more space um, leads from the front and I think I think we miss him massively as well Does it frustrate you particularly all these kind of 12 year olds on Twitter who just don't see all of those little details of the game so for example Henderson he's so good at controlling the game he can play a really good pass as you say he's really good at making space he leads the team 
but people don't want to notice that because all they want to look at is goals, assists, you know, all the all these all these stats, which are cool, but obviously you need to look at the whole ninety minutes. Does it frustrate you to see that, particularly as a player yourself, uh, when people don't really want to notice the little aspects of the game, or, or are you not really fussed by it? Yeah, like I say, I can see why people want that. I mean, sort of goals win games, don't they? And that's what the big people around the big money for. You know what I mean? At the end of the day, but. Um, I think I think more players do deserve credit, like the likes of Henderson and other players in and around the league. But essentially, I mean, people care about goal scorers and things like that, I guess. In terms of next season, obviously we know now that the Super League isn't happening, which is uh, very good news. Um, how do you see Liverpool doing next season? Obviously, depending as well on how they get on in the summer, because it feels like they need a big summer um, to get ready for next season. Yeah, I think if we get Van Dijk back fit I don't know if he's going to play in the Euros or not I haven't heard if he's going to or... uh, so l- last I heard uh, he was potentially in line for a return just before the end of the season I yeah. doubt that I-, I think he's gone for the rest of the season um, and then obviously that's going to affect him for the Euros really because well, he's yeah. not played club football since I think it's was it November that he got injured yeah, October November, October November. when Pickford decided to try and break his legs <laughs> um, so it's but, Everton's fault yeah Liverpool aren't doing very well this season yeah Definitely, um, <laughs> but, but in, the, the physios and medical staff at Liverpool have always been quite shady about when players will come back. Um, they've done so this season with something like Thiago. They said, "Oh, he'd only be out for a game," and he didn't come back till what January, wasn't it? End December, January time. Mm. So it can be frustrating in that respect. But I, I remember when you lot signed Thiago, and um, I was like, "How the hell have Bayern let him go for twenty million pounds?" Now I realise. Because how good was he for Bayern like last season even when they won the Champions League? He was incredible. He just sort of controlled games, but I don't know if he's just getting used to Klopp's style or not. But well, he just, just doesn't look like a, he presses or anything. Yeah, it's been his... a chop and change Liverpool side, really, yeah. since he's come in. And, well, the whole you season's know, been odd, hasn't you know, it, I, really? It, it's hard to speak being a Liverpool fan myself and not having any bias towards like <laughs> why this is happening, but... You know, you look at all the choppy teams and, you know, you've got a midfield that used to be able to press on, now has to come back and cover a defence of Kabak on loan. And yeah, Nathaniel and Phillips, who we tried desperately to get rid of. So Kabak on loan? I thought you signed him permanently. Kabak. Kabak's loan. There's an yeah, option yeah. To, oh, to buy him permanently, yeah. So loan to buy. But then yeah. then um, Thiago had to play holding instead of Fabinho because he had to move yeah. back and that makes a difference as well. So. I think I mean obviously again having played in, in in two different countries in the states and England with two different playing styles, do you think that has an impact on a player like Tiago who's come from Germany and and he's come to England or, or is it quite easy to adapt? I guess everyone's different though. He played in Spain as well, didn't he? Obviously, yes, in Spain as well. Yeah, with Barca. Yeah, yeah. I think I think as professionals they're a bit more um, adept at doing it. I guess not being any fans has probably played a part. Because I'm not sure they're probably used to that, um, but it'll be interesting to see next year when hopefully fans are back involved in in stadiums if that does have an impact on Thiago and other players alike. But some of the other sort of transfers have have taken a little while to get going as well from different teams. So I guess it's just a case of guys getting used to the culture. Really, I suppose it's tough because you look at sort of foreign players coming in; they've been involved in lockdowns. They can't go out and experience new cities and, and things like that. They've just had to 
stay at home and I guess if some are young and they don't know the languages maybe they've come from a different country it all, all plays a part sort of like being thrown into a cold pan really uh, Thiago um, Chelsea's players Werner Havertz um, all in that same sort of situation just being thrown into the pot quite quite cold really yeah I think they just need a bit more time and mm. I think we'll see the best of them next season then you can fully judge and, and, and decide then if they're one, one thing that surprised me about Liverpool season is how what, six seven years ago you used to be able to score more goals than you you conceded, mm. but the likes of Manny and Firmino can't seem to hit the target anymore. Salah's still scoring scoring quite a few goals to be fair to him, but Manny and Firmino they just yeah. they're not performing to the levels they were a couple of years ago and. I, I don't understand how that one comes into play. I remember the start of the season, Mane was on fire. Yeah, he he, he was banging in goals for fun. Um, again, though, I, I guess that's just that's just a form thing, isn't it? And then it's easy to get stuck in that rut once once you do go a couple of games without a goal. Yeah, he's definitely in that sort of form spell at the moment. Where he's having a bad patch, and and I don't know if the sort of potential teams chopping and changing has influenced him. Maybe the sort of fullbacks aren't getting as high, not getting many opportunities to cross balls in. Um, but again. Those front three have probably been a big problem in Liverpool season, to be honest. Like, Jota was a has been a big miss for you when he was injured, yeah. though, because mm. when Jota came to you guys, he he couldn't stop scoring. He he was he was your form player, and then he got injured, didn't he? Yeah, exactly, and also that probably spurred spurred on the other three, if you like, as well, thinking their space isn't guaranteed anymore because Jota's here. And I don't know. I'd like to see. I don't know if we could play all four at the same time, but it'd be interesting. Yeah, it was it was funny because um obviously Chelsea signed Timo Werner, Liverpool were very close to signing Werner as well. Um, it felt like a miss, obviously not not getting Werner, but Jota's turned out to be the mu- the much better signing. Um, so far, I, I, <laughs> so far, I still now. think yeah, yeah. I still think Werner's got a lot to yeah. lot to show. Oh, he's, he's got mean, a lot more in the even tank. This yeah. season, people have said he hasn't done well. He scored ten goals, insisted twelve. That's not a bad turnout. Mm. I mean, yes, they spent what sixty million on him, but he's still young as well, isn't yeah. he? He's still young. It's his first season in English football. So I, I still think he's got a lot more to I, come. Yeah, I, I agree about Werner. I don't know what um, suits him position-wise, though, with Chelsea. Like, does he play out wide? Or is he in fr- up front by himself or is it two? I don't know. It, it was weird with Leipzig because he, he seemed to just kind of play everywhere, in yeah. a way. Like, he would be in the middle, but positionally he was so he was always so intelligent wasn't he when he when he, when he played for Leipzig he'd, he'd appear out wide then he'd be in the middle and he just seemed to be able to kind of transition really smoothly between between different positions and I think I remember reading something about Werner where he said it, he's found it harder than he thought coming to England from Germany and perhaps that's influenced his sort of style as well maybe in Pro- Germany probably the same with Thiago as well yeah exactly mm. they've had more space and time to get on the ball or pick positions I, whereas, thi- yeah. I think Werner as well has been helped by the fact he has a German manager now as well because it, it, Tuchel will probably you know, speak to him in German, obviously. But how many times have you seen this happen to a Chelsea striker? You know, you've got yeah. the likes of Torres, Werner, Barr, you know, all of those go there. Who've Well, two of them played in England anyways, prolifically, and then went to Chelsea and didn't do so well. Shevchenko. You think maybe is there a striker problem at Chelsea? I mean, Costa's only the real striker to in the last couple of years anyways to to really break through yeah yeah when you talk about that and you think about it for a second they, they've not really had any sort of oh, i suppose drug yeah one. you can't yeah. really argue about drug <laughs> but then he's all right but they've got they've got so many that <laughs> yeah. fit into that category they buy so many strikers in and all of them sort of it's almost where strikers go to die 
I, so. I still think Burton's got a lot more to show. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, if I'm proved wrong, I'm proved wrong. But like, it just seems some of his techniques and you know goals anyone should score. Yeah, I, I think just... I think that's also a confidence thing. Yeah, because but if, like if you had to put some of the chances he's had in front of him, if he was in a Leipzig shirt last season, he'd score. He would have scored. 20 30 goals already this season but i think it's a confidence thing coming in under lampard and then obviously lampard getting sacked he probably was building a relationship with lampard then lampard leaves and he's got to build a new relationship with uh tuchel especially whilst adapting to english culture and and all that i i don't know it, it, it's a difficult one considering the the personal aspect of it as well with not being able to leave the house <laughs> and only going to training. His, the only people he knows in England are his teammates. Yeah. Do you think there's a a certain pressure that comes with, set, with with playing for certain clubs? Because obviously we've seen Werner this season. Um, in the end, yeah, he, he's done some. He hasn't done bad numbers, but again, he's missed some some real sitters this season. Williams gone to Arsenal. He's had a horrible time since he went there. I remember watching his first game against Fulham when he got two assists and I thought he's going to be all right. Yeah. But uh, is, is is there just that sort of pressure with going to a club? Um, yeah, I think definitely like some of the big clubs, especially sort of top four, top six, if you look at it and fans are on your back if you're not performing and they expect you to come in and be this player that that you are and, and you, you're not actually deliv- delivering. I think it can definitely take its toll on, on particular players as well. Is some of that down to the manager as well, would you say? I, I think in football, people are very, very quick to, to blame the manager. Too quick, in my view. Obviously, Frank Lampard got sacked before the end of the season. I thought that was harsh. Yes, Tuchel's done a brilliant job. Um, but do you think managers are too harshly treated these days? Because Sir Alex Ferguson got battered in his first game for Man United. And he, it didn't turn out too badly for him. Yeah, No. Yeah, I, I agree. I think, I think managers are a bit um, hard done by. Uh, so to speak, like like you say, if they if they're not given enough time to sort of mould the team how they want it or um, utilise transfer windows, things like that, I think I think it does play a big part. And some managers are definitely hard done by. I was a bit unsure about the Chris Wilder situation, to be honest. Mm, I don't yeah. know who could have come in and helped Sheffield United be better than what they were in that aspect. Who have they got at the moment? Sheffield United. They still uh, it's, a, it, it's a caretaker. Oh, okay. I, forgot, I forgot his name. Heckle but, um, something. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> it's. Oh, I forgot his name. It's a. Uh, it's it's a longer name than what I used to. But uh, <laughs> yeah, no. Um, so yeah, they got a caretaker now. I I actually that's a good point because I remember Eddie Howe as well for Bournemouth. Yeah. I I, I don't know why they sacked him because I thought he deserved another season, and I think Chris Wilder deserved another season to get Sheffield United back um, to the Premier League as well. I I guess ten years ago they probably would have had that chance right to, yeah, to get yeah, them back I think so but but then it's crazy because you look at it and you think what he's done for like Sheffield United as a club and where he's brought them from and you think he'd be given the sort of opportunity to at least if they do go down to bring them back up and they've struggled with injuries this year fans not being there has probably affected them There's that type of club um, and I do think he's a bit hard done by like you say similar to um, Eddie Howe at Bournemouth and then if you look at it from another aspect, you think, well, they've been there years with a bit of new blood help. But mm. Is that like an owner thing as well, where maybe the guys running the club don't quite understand the history? For example, Chris Wilder's done so much for Sheffield United, both as a player and as a manager. Um, I, I don't know. Does it, does it frustrate you that owners don't always necessarily know 
the what the club is about or, or can you sort of see that perspective Speak. whereby they need results they need performances yeah definitely that they need results and performances but not knowing what the club's about just look at this Europe, ESL league or the Super League whatever they've just come up with that's point proven right there that they don't understand that it's about fans and football and it's not about business and money the clubs would be nothing without the fans being at the forefront of it so um, you've been on the pitch with some, some pretty big names actually you've been on the pitch for that Alex Oxley Chamberlain right yeah at one point uh, where was where was that that was when we were sort of under 11s and 12s oh like okay Argyle versus <laughs> Southampton I heard a story about Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain from one of my friends, and I'm not sure if you've experienced any of the similar sort of things, but apparently he's only like where he is now because of his father. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, we knew back, like, we were back then we knew he was uh, the son of a sort of a famous footballer, but um, you could definitely tell he was, he was good back then. Yeah. But then I think I had a teammate who said come towards 15 16 he sort of tailed off a little bit yeah yeah and um like i say you look at walcott breaking through but i don't think he had yet and he wasn't like at the forefront of their plans and then all of a sudden he got that big break and and then he sort of looked where he is now kind of thing but as a liverpool fan now i'm i don't know what to do with ox like mm, does he need he to is do, one of those in that like, bracket is he like does he need the lingard treatment where he mm. goes to like a west ham and, and plays well plays him week in week out but i just don't know Lingardine, yeah. It's incredible. <laughs> Jesse Lingard's transformation yeah. since moving to Manchester United. <laughs> uh, from Manchester United, sorry. Again, is that just one of those things that you just need as a player, like like a, a new environment, just, just to get you going again? Yeah, I, th- I say I think playing him week in, week out, he's got a coach who believes in him, in Moyes. Uh, it probably suits him, that kind of style, maybe a little bit different to Man United, where he's not expect he's got more space to sort of counter-attack, drive with the ball. Um, I think that all plays a part, but I've got him in my fantasy team, so I'm delighted. But he he played under Moyes, didn't he, at Manchester United? So I suppose that's why the West Ham move happened. I'd, I'd never actually thought of that. Yeah, <laughs> I think there was I think someone else I've read, heard that even Newcastle or West Brom, someone like that, were in for him as well. But he chose West Ham, and it's probably a good decision in the end. I mean, West Ham are in f- oh, flying form, aren't they? Fantastic. One of the favourites to be relegated this season. Um, a lot of bookies making their money from that. So There's some of the signings they've made, like. Suchek and Kufal for like mm. pennies yeah. in all things considered and Craig Dawson at the back you know what I mean that's just they've all come together and sort of perform really well for Moisey I suppose that's another thing about the European Super League isn't it like Leicester and West Ham third and fourth in the league at the moment yeah. like that no one would care about that if there was a Super League because it's like oh well it's not the Super League is it <laughs> yeah exactly like that game I watched Liverpool Leeds on Monday when the Super League was still going ahead and you just watched it and you're like does it matter? You know what I mean? It's that yeah. first game where you're just like, who cares? Oh, yeah. Hmm. Does it really matter what's going on? But Yeah, it was one of the first times this season Liverpool conceded and I thought, I really don't care. Yeah. Because <laughs> there was obviously just so much going on at, at that time. Um, you've uh, you've also been on the pitch with Luke Young, right? Obviously not as famous as, as Oxley <laughs> Chamberlain. Was that like a similar similar level like he, when, it, when you were kids? Well, you didn't mention it, but he... Went to Ivorbridge as well. We're in the same year. Oh, really? So yeah, we're in the same like classes and that at school. So, wow. Okay. Yeah, and he um, got his apprenticeship at Argyle done brilliantly. 
I think he was a bit hard done by leaving Argyle, actually. I think they kept Watton for an extra year, maybe, or something along the lines of that, where the fans were a bit disappointed that he ended up leaving. I think he's had a great career. And he's probably a bit too good for Wrexham, where he is at the moment. Mm. He's played in the Premier League as well, um, right, isn't he? I think Luke Young. I think that's a different... for Aston Villa. I think it's a different Luke Young. No, Luke Young's played for Argyle, Torquay and Wrexham. Yeah. Oh, okay. There's oh, two Luke Young. Luke Young. Oh, there's two Luke Youngs. Yeah. There you go. A lot of Youngs. Yeah, yeah. there's a, there's a, a lot, lot of Youngs. Of youngs. Well, it's like yeah. Smith, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Good. That's true. Yeah. Good British name. <laughs> <laughs> um, one of the final questions I wanted to ask was winding it back to you. Um, and your career through starting at Ivy Bridge, going to America, and going back uh, to Plymouth Parkway from Tiverton. Um, what do you think was the turning point? If your if your sort of career was a story, what do you think was that turning point that put you on the trajectory you're on? Uh, good question. Um, for me personally, like, I've not really had a great career. It's just sort of like a, a standard sort of non-league-ish career, if you like. But going to America did play a big part, helped me develop like physically and, and helped me develop my game. Um, training every day was a big one. And then probably going to Parkway as well, I'll be honest. Um, at Tiverton, it was my first season in men's football, um, so I took a lot of learning, and um, then moving to Parkway, I sort of got established, playing every game, um, enjoying it a bit more, I guess, if you like, and um, just going from there, really, I think I've been there three or four seasons now, and, and really enjoying it. Sort of more jovially there is, is if it was a film, who would you want to play you? <laughs> I mean, personally, I want Leonardo DiCaprio to play the life of Tom Cross. I want Leonardo DiCaprio to play the life of me as well. Oh, you're going to have to find someone else. I've already got a contract <laughs> sorted. Can I shotgun him? Or... Um, yeah, Leo would be up there. I sound like he's my mate, Leo. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's so many good actors out there. Mm, yeah. Tom Hanks, I don't know why. I just like Tom Hanks. I don't think Tom he'd Hanks do a good a job. Don't even, don't even need a good actor. I, I mean, Adam Sandler as me would even be a fine choice. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, that's one of my longest yards. It's a good film if you haven't seen it. Mm. It's, a, it's a classic, a bit like Me Machine, but for American football. Uh, yeah. Last question from me, that is. Uh, where do you see your career progressing then, like in, say, the next five years? Do you see yourself moving out of non-league football trying to get into League Two or even National League, that is. I mean, obviously you want to play in the bigger leagues, but where, where do you see yourself? Yeah, um, to be honest, I think it would be just keep playing and enjoying football, I would say. Like, the way Parkway are progressing at the moment, it's a great club to be at. Well, top of the league at the moment, aren't Top you? of the league, so. yeah. I think might be getting promotion, hopefully. Um, yeah, that's to the the one underneath the national uh, the national league south, isn't it? Uh, two below, so it's national league, national league south, southern prem, then the one below that is like southern div div one, or something okay. like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's the one below Tiverton, Truro, and Taunton. Um, but yeah, if Parkway got involved in that, I mean, the the club's sort of progressing. I mean, it's positive, and at the end of the day, just wherever I'd be happy playing football playing week in week out enjoying it good answer <laughs> just last one for me obviously tom's mentioned this as well uh kind of touched on this where do you see yourself in parkway in say five years time yeah i, I mean Oops. if i'd hopefully i'd still be playing for parkway if, if i could i mean obviously they're still trying for a guess at the league so i think ultimately for parkway from their point of view i think if they could be in the southern premier league by then 
pushing towards the Conference South. I think that would be an unbelievable achievement considering where they have been sort of the previous few years. Um, but yeah, I think I think they've got the correct backing and the correct board and the correct staff in place at the moment where it, it looks like it's progressing upwards and, and they can continue climbing up the league. All right, that's it from me. You guys got anything else? Uh, just thank you for yeah, joining yeah, us. Thanks very much for your time. Yeah, no, yeah. enjoyed it. Thank you so much. Yeah. Cheers, mate. Cheers, guys. Thank you.